Welcome to the Northwood Baptist Church Podcast. This is Tommy Metter, lead pastor of Northwood Baptist in North Charleston, South Carolina, and I'm so thankful that you've taken the time to listen to the following message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, go to northwoodbaptist.com. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review and subscribe to our podcast so you can have new content delivered to your device every single week. I hope the following message blesses you and helps you connect faith to life. We are continuing our journey through this fascinating book, Judges chapter 6 this morning. We're going to look at the whole chapter together, but in just a moment, I'm going to read to you uh, from Judges 6, verses 11 through 18. So go ahead and be finding Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. If you're new to the Bible, no worries. Judges is really easy to find. Just go to the very beginning of your Bible, the book of Genesis, and go forward about seven books, and you'll find yourself in the book of Judges. If you don't own a Bible, there should be a Bible right before you in the seat before you in the book rack. Grab that copy of the Bible. Find Judges 6 with us. If you don't own a Bible, go ahead and take that Bible home with you. Begin to read it and learn about the God who loves you and the desires of a relationship with you. Judges 6, 11 through 18. As you are finding that passage, let me ask you a question, and you don't have to answer this out loud, but just think about it. Are there some fears that you have in this life? Some things you're scared of, right? Maybe you're scared of the dark. I have no idea. But maybe you have some fears uh, that, that you, you know are just real battles. And so, and so for us, you know, we, we have given some names to certain types of fears. And so I'm going to flash some fears on the screen. And these are probably some things that you may be familiar with. Maybe not. We'll start out easy. Arachnophobia. That's the fear of what? Spiders, right? Simple. Anybody have arachnophobia? Oh, wow. More than I thought. Okay. Stacy uh, has a legit fear of spiders. So if you want to Use that in some way later on, just FYI. A glossophobia, do you know what that is? A glossophobia is the fear of public speaking, right? So did you know this, that, that when uh, people have done research in this particular area, more people actually fear public speaking than they fear death itself. You'd rather die than do what I'm doing this morning, right? There you go. So glossophobia, check this one out. Oh, if, how many of you have raised boys or are raising boys now? then you probably have this fear, olfactophobia. You know what this fear is? It's the fear of foul odors, right? <laughs> what is it about boys, right? Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, okay, next one, next one. Tocophobia, do you know what this one is? I didn't know what this one was. Tocophobia is the fear of pregnant women. Hey, my wife was pregnant a couple times. That's a legit fear, let me just tell you, right? So, a tocophobia, check out this one. Onphalophobia, that's a hard one, right? But you know what this is? The fear of belly buttons. Uh, we'll just leave that one alone. Next one, next one. Nomophobia, I guarantee that most of you in this room have nomophobia. You know what nomophobia is? It's the fear of not having your mobile device with you. But, but hey, hey, you laugh about it, but be honest with me, right? Come on, be honest with me. If you leave your house tomorrow to go to work and you leave your phone at home, what are you going to do? You're turning around going home, aren't you? That's just what we do because none of us will be caught without our phone. We fear it, right? Now, this one, check this out. Long windophobia. Do you know what this is? This is the fear of long sermons, right? I made that one up. So, and I made this one up too, but this is a legit fear. The one I want to talk about this morning is faithophobia. Because let's be honest. That in this room, there are some of us that what we fear most is faith itself. There are some of us in this room asking the question, can I trust God? 
can I trust God to come through for me? Can I trust that if I take that step of faith and, and do what he tells me to do, that he'll be on the other side of that step of faith? Can I, can I trust that he's going to be faithful to me? And so for some of us, we have a legitimate fear of faith itself. What we fear is doing what God wants us to do. Because if, if we did what God wants us to do, what if it doesn't work out the way we think it should work out? I mean, what if God doesn't come through? What if it makes my life harder to do what God wants me to do? And, and so for some of us, fear of faith is a legitimate fear. And I want to show you this morning in the story we're going to look at how God wants to take you from fearful to faithful. This morning, in that place where you fear, that that place where you fear taking that step of faith, that place where you fear doing what God has called you to do, that that fear that you have of, of living for Jesus, God wants to transform that fear this morning into powerful faith. And I think in this story we're looking at, we, we see some ways. We see three ways that God wants to take us from fearful to faithful. And this is a fascinating story. Because if you in your life right now feel wimpy in your faith, this story is for you. Because we're looking at the story of who I think is the biggest wimp in the Bible. It's a great story. Take your Bibles. Look with me at Judges. Judges chapter 6, verses 11 through 18. When you find that passage, go ahead and rise to your feet as we honor the reign of God's word together. Judges 6. Beginning in verse 11. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the terebinth at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abizrite, while his son Gideon was beating out wheat in the winepress to hide it from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you, O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, sir, if the Lord is with us, then why then has all this happened to us? And, and where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And, and he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, but I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that, is, that it is you who speak with me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this morning, and thank you for the opportunity now to be under uh, the teaching of your word. And Father, we, we trust that in these moments that your voice is going to speak to us loud and clear. And so help us to listen. And as we listen, help us to listen with a desire to obey. That whatever you say to us this morning, we want to respond to you in faith and obedience. And Father, I know all across this room there are those of us who are struggling with fear. Fear of the unknown. Fear of faith. A fear of, of doing what you've called us to do. And so I pray this morning that you would help us not walk in fear but to walk in bold faith, willing to do whatever you call us to do without hesitation, without complaining, but with a heart of gratitude and rejoicing. Father, thank you now that you're speaking. Here we are, your servants, listening to your voice. In Jesus' name, amen. You can
can have a seat. Now, if, if you've been with us over the last few weeks as we've been on this journey uh, through the book of Judges, then you know what's taking place. You know the cycle, right? That for a while, when there's a judge that's ruling over the people, everything will go well. When there's a judge, there's peace. But when the judge dies, the people of Israel resort back to their old ways. And this has happened again. Here we are. It's happening yet again. We looked last week at the story of Deborah, uh, the judge who was a prophetess that, that God raised up, and, and God gave the people victory at the hand of Deborah and a stay-at-home mom named Jael. It's a fascinating story. And, and now, as long as Deborah was alive, there was peace in the land. But J Deborah died, just like the judges before her. And when Deborah dies, there's chaos in the land again. And when Deborah dies, the people go back. They go back to idolatry, worshiping false gods. They go back to sin. They walk away from the God who loves them and brought them out of Egypt. And this happens again in, in Judges chapter 6. But what's interesting about Judges chapter 6 is that God is going to allow his people to once again experience oppression, right? Consequences for their disobedience. And, and the oppression they're going to experience now is the worst oppression we've seen thus far. Let me read to you. Look at what Judges 6 verse 1 says. The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian for seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. So, so let me explain what's going on. Midian, they were mighty. And what Midian did when they came into the land they wiped out completely all the crops of the people. And not only did they wipe out the crops of the people, uh, they slaughtered their oxen, they slaughtered their cattle. I mean, they were just vicious. And, and so for seven years, it happens over and over again. The Hebrew people, they go out and they grow some crops. And as soon as they grew those crops, the Midianites would come in and desolate the land. Uh, the, the Hebrew people, they would raise some cattle. And as soon as they did, the Midianites would come in they would take over and slaughter the cattle. And so now the people fear. And in their fear, what they do is they go hide in caves. For seven years, they hide in caves, afraid of the Midianites. And then you come, listen to what it says. You come to verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. Now this is interesting, right? I mean, the people had enough. For seven years, it's been going on time and time again. They've had enough, and so they cry out to God. And what we've seen in the book of Judges thus far is that when the people cry out, God sends a judge. But this time it changes just a bit. Before God sends a judge, he sends a prophet. Now, just hold on to that detail. We'll come back to that in a moment. But in the midst of this fearful people hiding in caves, there's also a fearful man, a man named Gideon. And what the Bible tells us in, in verses 11 and following is, is Midian, he, he's hiding too, right? In fact, what he's doing is he's beating out wheat in a wine press when the angel of the Lord appears to him. Now, I, I don't know how often you beat wheat. That's something you do on a regular basis, right? I don't know if you're familiar with the ancient process, but it's a pretty fascinating process. So, so what you would do when you, when you harvested wheat, you would take it up, to a field, maybe a hillside. And, and what you would do is you would gather that wheat and you would begin to beat the wheat. 
And as you beat the wheat, what would happen is that you would loosen the grain from the shaft. And so when the winds started to blow, you would take that wheat and you would throw it in the air so that when the winds came, the grain that had loosened from when you were beating it, that grain would fall to the ground and the wind would drive away the shaft. And that's how they collected grain. But what the Bible tells us is that Gideon was beating out wheat, not on a hillside somewhere, but in a wine press. For those of you going to Israel with me this week, you're going to see a couple of ancient wine presses. This is what it looks like, right? So what is a wine press? It's a hole in the ground, right? Now, can you imagine beating out the wheat in the hole? This is not where you beat out wheat. Do you know why? You're not going to get a lot of wind down in a hole. You understand? But here's Gideon. He's so fearful, so scared, that he's resorted to beating out wheat in a hole. He's not going to go up on the hillside. He's not going to go out into the open field. He's hiding, trying his hardest to collect grain in a wine press. And then the angel of the Lord appears to him. God appears to Gideon. And listen to what the Bible says. You come down and, and you, you read verse 12. The angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, the Lord is with you. Now underline this, O mighty man of valor. Interesting. Because reality is, right, is if, if you are reading this book later on, if you are reading the story of Gideon a couple hundred years after this was written, you know what you would do? When you read that phrase, O mighty man of valor, you would laugh. You know why you would laugh? Because Gideon's not a man of valor. He's hiding in a wine press. I mean, he is the biggest wimp in the Bible. And you see what Gideon says. Come on, God. Really? Mighty man of valor? Me? I mean, after all, God, what's going on? Lord, our fathers told us the stories of how you delivered the Hebrew people from the Egyptians, how you provided in the wilderness. And look at what it says. But now the Lord has forsaken us. God, where are you? You're coming to me, calling me mighty man of valor, but you've left us. You haven't been around. But you and I know the truth. God hadn't gone anywhere, had he? It was the people who had forsaken God. But, but Gideon keeps on going, doesn't he? You've forsaken us. And, and, and God, you call me mighty man of valor, but don't you know who I am? You're saying that you want to send me to deliver Israel, but don't you know where I came from? I come from the tribe of Manasseh. There is no tribe smaller than the smaller of Man than Manasseh. And not only is there no tribe smaller than Manasseh, I'm the weakest person in the clan. There's no one as weak as me. I am not someone who can deliver Israel, right? We were on a mission trip to Russia, I don't know, five or six years ago. And, and, and during that particular trip, we had done a lot of work in the community, we built several playgrounds. And, and so, so, you know, building playgrounds really isn't my thing. I was there kind of for moral support and to be an encouragement. But, you know, you hand me a power tool and, I mean, I, my brain just goes dumb, right? And so, so I, I was there. I was encouraging. I did the best I could with what skills I had. And then, then we had a celebration service at the end of our time together. And so we went back to the, the church we were partnering with, Pastor Nikolai's church, and we were there. And, and, and we had a worship service, which was wonderful. And, and then after the service, this... This babushka came to me, right? This Russian grandmother. And she looked like your stereotypical Russian grandmother. I mean, uh, she had maybe four or five teeth, and she had her head covered. And, and, and so she came to me, and she started talking to me. Now, obviously, I, 
you know, I, I don't speak any Russian. So I really wasn't understanding what she was saying, but she kept going on and on. She grabbed my hands and she was holding on to me. And so a translator came by, and, and since she was talking, the translator telling this, telling this, telling this. And, and the translator, she looked at the babushka, and, and it was like she didn't want to say what the babushka was saying to her to me. And so she kind of hung her head a little bit, and, and then, then she kind of giggled a little bit. And I'm like, what, what's she saying, right? I mean, please, you, you, I'm paying you to translate. Tell me, tell me what the lady's saying. And, and so the translator, she's, you know, 25, 26-year-old young lady, and she looks at me, and she said, this, this lady, this babushka, she said that you look so fragile. Like, I mean, all my masculinity at that point just kind of went out the window, and I felt defeated and deflated, but you look so fragile. And I bet you this is how Gideon felt. <laughs> Unfortunately, it's how I feel too right now. But, so, so, but he felt so fragile, weak. But, but here's the deal, right? Even though he was fragile, even though he was weak, God was about to do a work in his life. He might have been physically fragile, but God was about to make Gideon spiritually strong. And that's the same work that God wants to do in each of our lives, right? You might feel fragile in some areas of your life. You might feel weak in some areas of your life. You might feel fearful in some areas of your life, but God wants to make you spiritually strong. Listen, Gideon says, God, you don't know who I am. I'm from the weakest tribe, and I'm the weakest person in my tribe. But look what God says, verse 16. The Lord said to him, but but listen to this, I will be with you because that's all you need. Amen? I mean, at the end of the day, what more do you need in life than the presence of God with you? Because you know what the Bible says over in Romans chapter 8. For if God is for us, if God is with us, my friend, who can be against us? Gideon, you have no reason to fear. I know you're weak. But come on, Gideon, I'm going to be with you, almighty man of valor. And, and you see what goes on. Gideon, he is all confused. He doesn't know what to think. He's scared. He doesn't know if he can trust God. He's fearful. He says, God, okay, bear with me, God. Give me a sign. And give me a sign that you're really with me. Come on, God. Stay right here. Let me go get something. And so Gideon goes back to his house, and he brings back a sacrifice, and he, he puts it before God on an altar. And then what God does is God consumes it fire. And, and you see what happens in the text. You look at verse 22. Gideon perceived that, 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 the, that he was the angel of the Lord. And, and Gideon said, Oh, Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. And so God, in the midst of Gideon's fear, is reassuring him, I'm with you. I'm with you. No need, need the fear. And, and so what I want to show you in this passage is the, the first way. The first way God takes us from fearful to faithful. Now watch this. God makes you into what you are not. Amen? Because this is where Gideon's at. He is not a mighty man of faith. He is weak. He is scared. He is fearful. But God is going to make Gideon into what Gideon is not. And God is doing the same work in your life as a follower of Jesus. He is making you into what you are not. And and if God is going to do that, there's something you need to do. You can't resist that work, right? If God wants to make you, transform you into a person of of strong faith, right, take you from fearful to faithful, you've got to let God work in your life. 
You've got to cooperate in that work. And so what that means for you, on the one hand, is you've got to stop being satisfied with being stuck. Because let's be honest, some of you are. For years, you've been stuck in a place of spiritual complacency. Right? For years, there's been this sin that you struggle with, that you have not put to death. For years, you've been fearful of trusting God. And you've gotten satisfied with it. You've gotten satisfied with that sin that you will not put to death. You've gotten satisfied with that complacency, that lack of spiritual growth. You've gotten satisfied with being stuck. And you know this like I do. Sometimes it's very easy for an entire church to get stuck, right? And, and, and stuck with and not reaching people with the gospel and stuck with just the status quo. It's easy to get stuck. I went to the eye doctor uh, a year ago and got a, a prescription for my contacts. So he changed my prescription up when I was there. He, he, he asked how I was seeing, if I was seeing okay. It's like, well, I can see things far away, but, but I'm starting to not be able to see, you know, things close up. And he's like, yeah, because you just turned 40. I was like, oh, I didn't know that when I turned 40, my eyesight went away, but apparently it did. And so, so he gave me new contacts, but it really didn't help. I could see things far away, but I, I couldn't see things, you know, close up. And so, so I started to do things so I could start to see close up. Like I bought reading glasses, and I, I bought like three large print Bibles and, and all those kinds of things, right? And so I've been used to, over the last year, not being able to see, having to throw on those reading glasses and all those kinds of things. And, and then a couple weeks ago, Stacy and I went to an eye doctor. Not the same one, a different one. Somebody had recommended this doctor to Stacy, and, and so she really liked him because she had taken the boys there. And so I went to see this particular eye doctor. And I said, doctor, I, I can't see it. When I look up at what I'm reading, I just can't see it. It's all blurry, and I, I've got to wear these reading glasses. And he said, I can make you see. I said, you got my money, man. Let's do it. And so, so he put new contacts in my eyes. They're called, I don't know, multifocal contacts. And so he gave me these multifocal contacts. Now watch this. He put them in my eyes, and I once was blind. But now I see, right? Like, like, like immediately, you can ask my wife, like immediately, like I could see. Like I don't even need my reading glasses anymore. I mean, I put them in the trash. You can, I'm going to sell you my large print Bibles if you need one. I don't need them because I can see. Like perfectly, I can see. It's amazing. But here's the deal. For a year, I didn't know those things existed. For a year, I didn't know there was another option. For a year, I was stuck. Stuck and not being able to see. And just, it's just what it was. And all that to say, that's where some of you are spiritually. And I want to tell you, there's a great physician who wants to help you see a different reality. There's a God that wants to get you unstuck, right? And for you to become unstuck, you know what that's going to take from you? You've got to quit asking God to improve your life. Now, hang with me. Because here's what happens when we get stuck. Some of you know that you're stuck. And because you're stuck spiritually, that's spilled over into other areas of your life. Because you refuse to walk by faith, it's affected your marriage. It's affected your finances. It's affected your parenting. It's affected the way you live because you're stuck, you're comfortable, you're complacent, and you refuse to do anything about it. And so what you're doing now is you're begging God, right? Now, I mean, this is what happens in this story. Gideon's stuck. The Israelites are stuck. Gideon says to God, God, we're stuck. In the past, this is what you did. You improved the lives of the people. You brought, right? You brought the Israelites out of Egypt. You provided for them in the wilderness. You improved their lives. Why don't you improve our lives as well? Let me show you something. Go back in the text. Look at what it says. Come back to chapter 6. 
Look at verse 7. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent what? A prophet. Now, we're not going to read these verses, but, but, but here's the deal. Do you know why God sent a prophet to the people? To point out exactly why they were stuck, right? To get to their hearts, right? Because what happens time and time again in this book is that the people, they sin, and they call out to God, God, improve our circumstances, but do you know what they never ask for? Change. God, change me. I can't do this anymore. I need a new heart, a new life, a new way of thinking, a new way of living. Do you see? Some of you are stuck spiritually this morning. You're stuck in your fear. And you're thinking, man, this is just the way that it is. But God, it'd be nice if you throw me a bone, right? It'd be nice if you help my marriage out a little bit. It'd be nice if you help my finances out a little bit. It'd be nice if you help out here or there a little bit. I'm stuck. Just give me some help. And what God's saying to us this morning, what you need is not for me to improve your life. What you need is for me to change your life. That's what some of you need to experience this morning. That's what's going to get you out of fear. That's what's going to build your faith is when you stop asking God to improve your life because you're stuck. And you start asking God to completely and radically change you. And that's what some of you need right now. And guess what? God wants to make you into what you are not. That's the work that he wants to do. But look what else takes place in the story, right? So Gideon's starting to get it. God says to Gideon, O mighty man of valor, I'm going to use you. I'm going to use you to deliver my people from the Midianites, right? And then God gives Gideon an assignment. Look at what it says. You come to verse 25. That night the Lord said to Gideon, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it. So, so kind of get the image in your mind. God is going to use Gideon right, to go and defeat the Midianites. But before God uses Gideon to go defeat the Midianites, he wants him to go home. Because at Gideon's home, it's idolatry. At Gideon's home, is rebellion against God. And before God is going to use Gideon to deliver Israel from the Midianites, God wants to use Gideon to clean up his home. And look what the text says, though. You come down to verse 27. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. So, so Gideon's following God, right? He's a work in progress, though, like so many of us. He, he's still fearful, but he's taking that initial step of faith. He goes in the middle of the night. He tears down the altars that were built to foreign gods at his father's house. The next day, people get up. They're mad because the altars have been torn down. And Gideon's father speaks up. Leave Gideon alone. Let Baal defend himself. All that to say, here's what I want to show you from the text. Not only does God want to make you into what you are not, God wants to use you close before he uses you far. Right? How does God take you from fearful to faithful? He uses you close before he uses you far. Let me explain what I mean by that. For some of us, right, using us close starts within us ourselves. What God is, is, is saying to, to Gideon is it's got to go. In your own life, you need to tear down the altars, Gideon. In your own life, you've got to take that step of faith. In your own life, you've got to show that you're going to be committed to me, that you're going to take that step where you profess allegiance to me, right? 
start close. Go home. Do work in your life. And then stand for me before your family. You see? God wants to do a work close before he uses you far. And just think about it. How might God use you in the life of your family if you started close? If in your own life you began to deal with those fears that keep you from walking by faith, and then as you dealt with those fears on a regular basis, you began to to share with your family what God is doing in your life. You see, God wants to use you close because, let's be honest, there's a couple of questions that you need to ask yourself this morning. One, what do you need to go to war with in your home, right? Because for some of us in our homes, there are some idols that need to come down. Idols that are keeping us from living out our faith in our family, right? I mean, just think about it. If you have kids, take a moment and ask them. Ask them what they think your priorities are. And how they answer that question might reveal what you're really worshiping in your house, right? If you never come home, always working late so you can make that extra buck, your career is your priority. And you're teaching your kids that your career matters more than your relationship with God, Right? you're always on the road, travel ball this, travel sports this, travel this, travel that, and it causes you to be away from God's people several times over the course of the month, you're revealing to your kids that those extracurricular activities are far more important than the people of God. You see what I'm saying? And so I'm just asking you, as you begin to walk by faith, what are those things close to home that you need to deal with? What are those idols at home that need to come down for the sake of the gospel? What are those idols in your house that need to go, you see? But also think about this. What do you need to lead your family to do outside your home, right? What what needs to change in your house? Well, your home, your family becomes more focused on the mission of God, right? What needs to go and what needs to be added? I think about this morning. I think about college students in the baptismal pool, Right? seeing a young man baptize his friend. You know what I can't wait for? I long for the day when my boys come home and they say to me, Daddy, you won't believe what happened at school today. I had an opportunity to lead a student to faith in Christ. Wouldn't that be awesome? I can't wait for the day when when I get to go on that international mission trip and I get to take my boys with me. You see what I'm saying? Those are the days I long for. And if I want to see those kinds of days, then I've got to start now. You see what I'm saying? There are some things that in my own house need to come down so I can help my own family become who God wants them to be, you see? Because the reality is, I can stand up here and preach to you all day long till I'm blue in the face. But my most effective work as a pastor is always going to start in my home. And your most effective work as a follower of Jesus is always going to start in your home, you see? God wants to use you close before he uses you far. And so for you, these are the questions. What needs to come down in your home? What's keeping your family from walking in faith? And what do you need to lead your family to do outside the home? What do you need to focus on outside your house? Who's the family your family needs to serve for the sake of the gospel, you see? Here's why I know that when you start working at home, and start taking those steps of faith at home, God is going to take you from fearful to faithful. Now finally, watch this. And God is going to prove to you that you have no need to fear. Come back to the text. 
we'll be done with this. Look at what the Bible says. Again, Gideon's starting to get it. He's taking those small steps of faith. He's still scared. He's still figuring it out. God uses him to go home, right, to tear down some altars at home, you see. Next step is God is going to use Gideon to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. It's a big deal. And so you come down and you look at, at this part of the story. And, and if you're familiar with Gideon's story at all, this is probably the part of the story that you're most familiar with. Look at what it says. You come down to verse 36. Then Gideon said to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone and it is dry on all the ground, then I shall know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. Now let's stop right there. You're familiar with this story. Gideon laying his fleece on the ground to see if God would wet the fleece, right, and keep the ground dry. And when we think about this story, we, we think about, you know, Gideon laying out a fleece to find God's will, right? And maybe you've heard it said, you've maybe said something like this, I, I've got a decision to make, and I've got to know God's will, what God wants for me. Should I go to this college or that college? Should I take this job or that job? Should I marry this person or that person? Should I do this with my kids or this with my kids? And I've got this decision to make. And so what I need, God, more than anything, is I need a sign. Can you give me some kind of sign? Can you, can you write it in the sky? God, I'm, I'm throwing out my fleece, right? You've heard that phrase before. I'm throwing out my fleece for God to give me a sign as to what to do. The problem is God had already told Gideon what to do. You see what I'm saying? Gideon wasn't trying to discover God's will. God had made his will to Gideon very clear. You are a mighty man of valor, and I'm going to use you to defeat the Midianites. Clear. The question Gideon was asking was not, God, what's your will? The question Gideon was asking was really the same question a lot of you were asking this morning, whether you know it or not. God, can I trust you? God, I hear you, and, and I, I saw what happened in my family, how you used me there. But Midian, that's a completely different enemy. Have you seen what they've done to our crops? Have you seen, right? Have you seen how they've devoured our cattle? Can I trust you, God? Can I trust that you're going to be with me? Can I trust that you're going to deliver my people through me? Can, can, can I trust you? And let's be honest. Some of you this morning are asking the same question. God, can I trust you? Can I trust that if I take that step of faith, you're going to be on the other side? Can I trust that if I give generously, you're going to provide for my family? Can I trust that, that if I raise my kids to honor you, that you're going to be faithful to my kids? Can I trust? Can I trust you? And this morning... The reason why some of you in this room aren't taking that step of faith, the reason why some of you in this room fear faith this morning, is because you haven't settled the question in your own life if you trust God or not. That was Gideon's question. God, can I trust you? And you see what he does. He, he puts out the fleece, and, and then as he puts out the fleece, he comes the next morning, the fleece is wet, and, and the ground is dry, just like he, he had uh, you know, propositioned God about. And, and then he says, okay, God, that was really cool, but I still don't know. Let's try this again. Let's do it a second time, God. 
And, and God is so patient with Gideon, just like he's so patient with you and, and so patient with me. And so the second time, Gideon lays out the fleece the second day. This time, let's reverse it, right? Let the fleece be dry and the ground be wet. And that's what happens. Second day, fleece is dry, ground is wet. Gideon can trust God. He got a sign. But what about you? You didn't get your sign. I mean, you didn't get your fleece wet, right, or fleece dry, whatever you were looking for. How do you know you can trust God? Let me tell you how you can know. Because you already got your sign. You got 2,000 years ago. Because 2,000 years ago, the God of all creation sent his son Jesus for you. You know what the Bible says? In Romans chapter 5, the Bible reminds us that we were all, every one of us in this room, we were all enemies of God. We, every one of us, we were at war with the God of all creation. But even though we were at war with God, God came to make peace with us. And he sent his son Jesus, who lived a perfect life and and never sinned, and then went to a cross and on the cross won a victory for us. We deserve punishment. We deserve death. We deserve for God to defeat us. But on the cross, Jesus took the wrath of God upon himself. All of your sin, all of my sin, past, present, and future, was laid upon Jesus on the cross. And on the cross, once and for all, God proved that he loves us by allowing his son, his precious son, to die in our place. And he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving once and for all that the victory is indeed ours. Do you see it? You're asking, God, can I trust you? God, can I trust you? God, I need a sign. What more do you need? Go back to the cross, my friend, and see the love of God poured out for you. You've got your sign. Here you are this morning asking, God, can I, can I trust you with my finances? Really? If you trust God with your eternal salvation, you can trust him with your finances. God, can, can I trust you with my kids? Seriously? If you can trust God with your eternal salvation, that he can save you from hell, he's got your kids covered, right? God, can, you know, can I trust you to take that step of faith? I mean, come on. Look at what he's done for you. Can you trust him? What kind of question is that? Why do we even ask that? But we all do. And I'm telling you, the same thing I need to tell myself, whenever you're in that moment of fear and you're asking God, can I trust you? Just remember, God has already proven to you that you have no need to fear. Go back to the cross. And this morning, as we close our time together, there are some of us in this room who are believers in Jesus Christ who once and for all need to settle the question, can I trust God? Because you've gotten stuck, right? You've gotten complacent and fearful because the reality is overarching in your life is this question, can I trust God? And the answer is absolutely, right? And so this morning, followers of Jesus, if you profess faith in Jesus Christ, I'm talking to you, start trusting You've got every reason to and no reason not to. God wants to take you from fearful to faithful. You'll cry out to him this morning. God, change my fear into faith. Help me to trust you. Help me to take that step of faith that you want me to take. And this morning, as we have a time of invitation, maybe here in this room, you want to come. 
You want to come and just gather around front of me and ask God to take you from fearful to faithful, asking God to help you once and for all to settle the answer to the question, can I trust you? You can this morning. Trust him. You have no reason to fear and every reason to walk by faith. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus. If you're not a follower of Jesus, guess what? You're in a great place this morning because this morning you need to be reminded, you need to know, you need to hear, maybe for the very first time, that God loves you. So much so that he gave his son Jesus for you who died in your place, taking the punishment that you deserve because of your sinfulness and rebellion against God. And this morning, if you'll confess your need for a Savior, if you'll say, God, what you did for me on that cross 2,000 years ago, that's what I need because I need my sins forgiven. I need faith. I need to experience transformation in my life. This morning, you can experience that by believing that he died and rose again for you by turning from your sins and turning to him, trusting him with your life. In the back of this room are two crosses. And we'll have some people at these crosses who are ready to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus this morning. And so this morning, if you'd like to begin a relationship with the God who loves you and gave his son for you, as we sing, you make your way to one of these crosses. Somebody will be there and we'll be glad to talk to you about how you can begin a relationship with Jesus this morning. Let me pray for you and we're going to respond as God leads us. Father, thank you for this morning and thank you for time and your word. And thank you, Father, that we can trust you. The cross proves it. The cross has proven once and for all you love us, that you desire the best for us, that whatever you say, we can do, because your spirit lives in us, empowering us, and because you know what's best for us. Now, Father, all across this room, I pray for my brothers and sisters, for those of us who are fearful, who've gotten stuck in complacency, Father, change us this morning. Help us to settle the question that we're all asking, can I trust you? And help us to realize that we certainly can. And because of that, we can do whatever it is you're calling us to do in these moments. And for that man, that woman who's here, who's never placed his faith or her faith in Jesus, I pray that person would come and give his life or her life to you this morning. Ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Rise your feet. As we have time of invitation together, you come now as the Spirit of God leads you.